You usually give us a countdown, don't you? And it's a big hello and welcome to... Oh. God. Hello, welcome back to the Cairncast. This is episode two. Uh, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend, Aris. Hello. And I'm also Robbie. Um, and today we're going to be talking about something quite cool. Um, we're going to be talking about starting a cafe. Um, something along the lines of, so you want to start a cafe? Yeah. And here are our top tips. Yeah. Might not be quite that so How to. Starting a cafe for idiots. Dummies. Dummies, that's Buy it. dummies. Yeah, buy dummies. Um, so we've got a list this week. There's quite a few things to go through when you're setting up a cafe, isn't there? So I mean, the li- uh, it's, a, it's a pretty sketched together list. Yeah. It's not very impressive. One thing I, I suppose we should say is that it is um, something we're quite aware of. People uh, say quite often that they'd love to, or they wish they'd start a cafe. They'd love to start a cafe. Uh, and I think... When you have a normal job, I say normal job, you know, running a cafe is a formidable occupation. Um, but when you have a job working in an office or in the city, um, as Harris might call it, um, you know, you, you'll use your breaks to go out and get coffee often. And mm. um, and I guess you'll then be thrown into this world of bright lights, uh, good smells, um, yeah. fun, Brewster's having fun, or uh, you know, people having, genuinely looks, seeming happy. Yeah, it looks so easy. Um, and, and that's a, an attractive proposition, mm. I guess, for, for those people. Because they're having a, a good time at that moment. Yeah. Um, and we're here to dispel the rumour. You know. um, no, we're just here to talk about you know what we think it takes to run a cafe yeah. uh, and various other bits. So where do we think we should start? So we'll start at the start um, with... Yeah, how do you set it up? So I think we can talk a good bit about your experience here as well. So obviously you need to come up with the idea. It's not, you can't just one day be like, right, I want to run a cafe. Then Mm -hmm. if you do think that, you need to come up with a brand name. You need to come figure out all that kind of stuff. So right from the start, why did you want to set up Cairn Gorham Coffee? And then how did you come up with that name and idea? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, the names are not a topic that we were going to go down, but actually very interesting. And I got a lot of, lot of uh, opinions on, on names of cafes and what I think is uh, a good approach. So to start, uh, I got into running a cafe because my dad ran a cafe. Um, in the specialty industry, quite rare to have a second generation. Second generation. Uh, but there we go, family yeah. business. Yeah. Uh, so I was working in his cafe for a long time in the summers, and started getting really into coffee. It was quite early on in the specialty movement um, when a lot of places were, you know, it was slightly um, under the radar. There was, it seemed like a kind of craft that was quite elite and, and not many people were, had access to how to craft this uh, product. Um, but at the same time, there were in the deep kind of darkest bits of the web, uh, some blogs and some cool forums where people were talking about it. So I got pretty obsessed with that, um, yeah. living in the Cairngorms. Uh, for me, personally, not a huge social life at that point, so I was quite happy to dedicate myself to, to learning what was what. So that was kind of what got me interested. And yeah. my dad, who I've spoken about previously, had uh, previous jobs working in, in marketing, amongst other things, and seemingly was his happiest when he dropped the big corporate jobs and, and joined uh, this lifestyle of running a cafe. So I decided to try and 
skip some hurdles and, and just to start uh, fr from there. Do you think um, we'll just go on that back when uh, your dad quit his job at McAllen? I think I remember saying he was 50, so he, he quits the job at He 50. went to Baxter's afterwards. So he did. Yeah. Um, do you think you would have thought he'd still be working now? Back when he decided, he was like, oh, I'm going to run a cafe. I'll be retired in five years. Do you think he thought that? I'd say, honestly, uh, I don't know. But yeah. I do know that hospitality and cafes, he, he, in general, he had a great run. And I think yeah. there were a lot of businesses that, that did super well. Um, and throughout the bubble, which was COVID-19, I think it's made it more challenging for, for people like him to retire, yeah. uh, which is savage. Yeah, but do, it's yeah. you know it's it's a consideration. It's not something we've put down on our our pretty haphazard notes again. But it is a thing, you know, being prepared for these ineventualities, whether that is a pandemic or that is the roof falling down. It's, yeah, it's pretty. It's a tough thing to to uh, to navigate. Um, well, so you finally settled on a name, Caragorn Coffee, which I don't think would have taken you too long. And I think very important: don't spend too long on your name. I think. Uh, from my point of view, branding is very, very important, but doing is much more important. So if it takes you 10 years to figure out your name, that's too long. And yeah. So, so a lot of it depends on what you want to achieve. Like if your kind of goal is to have a lifestyle business yeah. um, in, in your hometown and you're selling coffee to the locals of the town, yeah. without being condescending, I don't think it matters a, a huge amount. Yeah. Uh, whilst we were quite driven on creating a brand before we even opened the doors as a cafe. So at that point, I was thinking, well, I'm in this for the long haul, so I'm going to be stuck with this for quite a long time. Yeah. It's not a case of just taking on a lease and jumping out if I, if I don't really like it. I was pretty set on it. Yeah. So what I alluded to before about uh, coming up with names was I think gimmicky names are the worst possible thing to... You can come up with some really cool play on words, but generally speaking... Um, you know, gimmicky names that are very rooted in caffeine or coffee or... You throw some out there, are you? Uh, I'm not, I don't want to... <laughs> no, but, I, you know, I don't think caffeine it allows... corner. Yeah, it doesn't allow for, you know, three or four or five years down the line yeah. much scalability, I don't think. No, so you uh, never thought of calling it Central Perk or something like that? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I shoot me out, no. No. Okay, so you've got your uh, company name, your brand, your coffee brand you want to set up. What is next? And, you know, we chat about this a lot. So what's next on this? What's number one? What do you have to do? Well, so I came up with the name, which was Cairngorm. Yeah. Which is named after the Cairngorm Highland Park. Yeah. And the next thing you do is get a premise. And yeah. obviously our premises were in Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> so that was potentially viewed upon as a weird thing to do. And I certainly had this idea in my head, which is now I realise is so ridiculous. But I remember arguing my case to my parents, being like, what if someone agrees to meet at Cairngorm? And they think they mean the Cairngorms. As if someone's going to be driving up to Aviemore uh, instead of West End. Maybe. Um, yeah. But and yeah, to for those who maybe aren't aware of Scottish geography, is you know maybe two hours uh, at least to the Cairngorms yeah. from Edinburgh. So, um, so yeah, the next one was premise, and we were pretty lucky. Uh, we were chatting recently this week about how with the majority of units that I've looked at, it's felt very seamless. Yeah. And the units where it's been a bit more of a challenge, it's generally speaking, speaking, I've looked back on and been like, I'm glad I didn't do that. 
Yeah. Uh, so the unit we're in right now, you might seem we've been jumping about a bit. We're in Frederick Street, so oh. the first shop we ever opened. Um, and it's quite apt now we're having this like conversation. we think about where we're going to be yeah. located. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I walked in here. It was a little sandwich shop called Le Sandwich. Uh-huh. Again. <laughs> I did that. I'm cancelled in France. Yeah. Um, that's a really, yeah. re- that's, would you say that's a gimmicky name? Uh, uh, yeah. So I think it's too specific, which, to be fair, you could, it's, you know, it's like calling it the coffee. Right, yeah, so. but we're not French. We digress. In um, any case, um, yeah, no, obviously it's that age-old saying. I don't know whether it was just coined by Kirsty Allsop, but the whole location, location, location thing, and it is key because yeah. you've got to understand the marketplace very well. Like right now, yeah, you know the the kind of demographic and the uh, footfall within the city centre has changed a lot since when we opened. Massively. And so depending on what you plan to do, whether it's a kind of community-based cafe or it's a really high-end specialty cafe where you want lots of takeaway, you know, you really need to consider that hard. And I don't think anyone's silly enough not to understand the ramifications of getting the wrong site, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's important, very important, hugely important. I think, as we were talking about, a lot of that has changed recently. So obviously city centres have become slightly less popular. Mm-hmm. And now residential areas like Brunsfield and Stockbridge and Edinburgh have become much, much more popular as more people work from home. So there's a lot of dynamics that play into stuff like that. Um, your dad's cafe, for example, completely different. It's located next to a road, but it's a very busy, popular road going mm-hmm. north, isn't it? So yep. location and you know actually getting the premises is very important. Yeah. Obviously, what you will find, the hottest locations the best locations is very difficult to get premises. I think especially in the current climate. You know, I don't know how you got this 10 years ago. I imagine it was quite a tough market back then as well, 10 years ago. But Yeah, well, um, so uh, for transparency, it was a guarantee from my mum and dad on, I don't know if it was the house or their business, but, um, and that obviously presents an access point, um, you know, where it's, you know, not everyone's in that, position yeah um we're obviously very fortunate that you know it wasn't necessarily the case that they were giving money but they were yeah. prepared to lose it all essentially you know yeah, yeah. which is is quite a terrifying thought on the, the on my dad's cafe you know talking about premise and location and and finding the right place he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to serve yeah. before he you know came across or um, before he kind of really went down the route of that location yeah, and that was very much geared towards that quick stop off. So they they had um, freshly made everyday sandwiches, but they packaged them up yeah. so they were good to go. And he had that vision uh, for you know throughout the whole process. And I think that's again where it is. You know, don't just necessarily be on the lookout for a premise. Yeah, start to think about what is the vision for the shop as you would like to see it. Yeah, and then try and really think about okay, where would that fit within. You know where would a premise fit within that vision? Yeah. Um, because and he will say, you know, he wouldn't have necessarily been able to copy and paste that in wh- where we've ended up in the centre of Edinburgh yeah, and definitely. it to have worked perfectly. So it's all um, horses for courses. So I'd say that's obviously forms part of um, you know when you when you are thinking of doing this. Obviously, a business plan is what you need, and I think business plans again can sound quite frightening, but really it's just a giant piece of paper, a notepad where you write down 
all these kind of thoughts. Um, so, like, what is your concept? Um, we talk sometimes, you know, Karen Gorham, the basic concept that you started with is coffee and then grilled cheese. But I don't know if grilled cheese was there right from the start, but I think it was. But, yeah, so you had a basic concept, what you wanted to do. Yeah, It's very much the same. You know, figure out your name, figure out your basic concept, start figuring out then what mm-hmm. locations might that work from as well. You know, it's all yeah. part of a business plan, essentially. And I think in hindsight, probably, you know, even though we had the concept of coffee and grilled cheese, which seems quite tight, we branched off too much and we tried to overcomplicate. And yeah. it's very easy to get excited in that first year where, you know, if things aren't working quite the way you expected yeah. to get uh you know almost to lose your your bottle a wee bit and start thinking oh well what if we also do cold sandwiches and what if we also do confectionery but every time you do that you're bringing yourself away from that initial uh you know the essence of what you were trying to achieve yeah. and we talked about it before we started recording the kiss yeah. motto which is so cringy yeah. but they keep it simple stupid yeah it doesn't age like that no. it makes still makes so much sense yeah. you know find something which um want to do and do it really really well yeah uh, and that's always been quite a strong mantra of us and I think it served us pretty well I think where that is very applicable as well is if you're on a tight budget you know you, you can spread yourself far too thin if you try and do absolutely everything like we'll get on to chatting about equipment in a minute but mm-hmm. and you'll hear how expensive coffee equipment in particular is but if you then want to add in a bakery side to that you know an oven is very very expensive as well so um, yeah a huge part of that get your concept dialed in and then yeah find yourself a location so you found a location on just off george street one of the busiest places in edinburgh so what's next what happens after you find that location um so what happens after the location so it was a slight statement of intent taking a unit in the center of town yeah i was 23 uh 24 when that lease was signed yeah and for some reason i just thought I was more ballsy than I was. I think after the fact, I got very, very anxious about the whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, so obviously what you were probably alluding to was the renovation, uh, which by the time we had taken on this lease, uh, not so much the investment of the lease, but it was looming over me that if it took three, four, five months to do a renovation, which yeah. you just never know, uh, that's a considerable investment itself. So it, it was very shoestring. And I remember a lot of it was done just by me and friends to begin with. How long was that shoestring? If you'd be transparent now, like how long, uh, as as in how much did it cost? Um, And we could probably. It has changed a lot over the years. But I mean, I I should have fished out the the invoice. Still got them kicking about. I think, so I I found the guys on Gumtree. Yeah. And I think. What, as in. Need someone to fit out a cafe yeah. post on Gumtree. With a very clear vision, again, of what I wanted. Went to, I was going to get sleeper, uh, railway sleepers from my friend's farm. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he pulled one out and they were like, decaying. There was a hundred years of soaked oil inside them. Yeah. So we picked them up and they were leaking everywhere. So they ended up going outside. People might remember benches outside. But we, I then went to a timber merchant, a builder's yard out yeah. in East Lothian and just bought new fabric, like, Brand new ones, which cost nothing. Um, and that made the countertop. Nice. Um, and I th- then we just got tiles I bought online. We'd, everything was just bits and pieces. Yeah. I, I'd be surprised if it cost more than 15 grand. But 
That's mind-blowing now, I think, yeah. isn't it? Like, it wasn't... Obviously, I would say on top of that, we... Oh, we've got someone piling in the oh. front door now. We're close today. Sorry. No, it's not a problem. Shut the gate. Right. Um, uh, you're going to have to shut the gate. Um, um, so £15,000, when we start talking about maybe... Modern days, let's scale that forward. How much now? Uh, if you're maybe if you're going to try and do it yourself, even a do it yourself, you're not getting anywhere close to fifteen grand. I so don't it depends know. on the size of the unit, obviously. Yeah, but a, a unit this size, if it was a shell, to get to this kind of finish, you could easily spend forty, fifty grand. Yeah, and that's probably where I think. When you go into business, one of the biggest things when you try and fit out a shop or a cafe, one of the biggest things you probably underestimate is how much the fit out will cost and how long it will take. And I think my advice on that would be how long you think it's going to take, double it, and then how much you think you're going to spend, double it as well. So if your and budget's 20 grand. Yeah, and does your cash flow give you enough runway to get through that? 100%. <laughs> it's, and it's important. I think that's, for me, the hardest bit always with setting it up is you then start getting into the realms of making compromises. So um, I think that's a good segue in from fit out into equipment. And mm -hmm. so I think you'll find that cost really is for the actual, you know, the tiles, the flooring, the yeah. countertops, all that kind of stuff. How much does it cost to buy coffee equipment? Well, so f for us, um, we did a few things uh, and... <sighs> not things that we would necessarily repeat, but, you know, we, we aligned ourselves with coffee roasters who could give us yeah. equipment. Um, and uh, obviously we still then paid a, a lease rental on that equipment, yeah. but it would be substantially less than, um, you know, if they gave it to us, sorry, substantially cheaper because we were buying their coffee. And I think that um, a lot of cafe starting out will go down that route. Because so you lease a machine, but the flip side of that is that you buy the coffee off the roaster who's leased you the machine. Yeah, and at that point, I signed a contract for that. For how long? I think it must have been a couple of years. Okay. And I think we had it for two months. And then we had serious conversations about the, the quality. Of the coffee or the machine or the, yeah, the equipment? The, the coffee, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so we, you know, it was one of those ones where it was like, where this could make or break the business at this early stage. We spent all this money on, on everything. Yeah. Um, we need to find a way of getting out of this. And so some priests, like big chats, that allowed us to get out of it. So coming back onto that, as someone who's new to the coffee game, how did you know the coffee was bad? Genuinely, just customer feedback. Because I was none the wiser. That's incredible. I was quite happy. Because I... I and we hopefully will chat to some Edinburgh stalwarts of the coffee yeah. industry here. But uh, I learned so much in that first few months. Yeah. Um, and it, I knew far, far less than I thought I knew. Yeah. Which, again, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't naive enough to think I knew lots about it. Yeah. But it was a quite a, a, uh, an awakening um, because there were 
all of the people I'd done my market research on in Edinburgh, you know, there was Brew Lab, there was Artisan Roast, Machina. Yeah. Uh, those are probably the, the kind of three. And they'd all opened up, bar maybe at Artisan, very recently. Yeah. So we were kind of on their coattails. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were, you know, ahead of us in terms of they were already doing it. Yeah, they... Uh, what I was hoping to achieve. And we got some great feedback. And I think we talked about feedback in a previous podcast. Yeah, we did. This is a, an area where it has helped us. Yeah. Uh, we had to listen to that feedback. And... We got rid of the machine. I went onto eBay and drove down to London to pick up another machine like a week later. Or wow. Was there any implications with uh, getting out of that contract? Was that difficult to do? That's uh, uh, another no. segue for this is really think long and hard before you sign contracts, I think, probably yeah. as an outcome. But, yeah, how, was it difficult? Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't. It was awkward, but it wasn't because um, it was and we're not obviously mentioning names, but it was a roaster that my dad had used for yeah. many years. So that's how I had worked with that coffee. It was an, it was an obvious segue I know, yeah. into using it, but yeah. um, he was basically like, had a chat with him at that point just to say, I'll obviously continue to buy from you, but yeah. I can't necessarily continue to do that if you force this situation. And I guess... Some, some big, some big truths coming yeah, out. There is some big truths. And I... <coughs> I think, uh, though, this is part of your journey to become more speciality, probably. So, like, mm -hmm. I think if we were to name the name of that roaster, guess in the comments, uh, <laughs> it they maybe would not be what people now would consider a speciality roast. Yeah, and, and I, th I, I would argue as well that, yeah, um, when I was making that decision uh, nine years ago, yeah, there, there wasn't the breadth of a, of, of an industry in yeah, Scotland yeah. and in Edinburgh. Yeah. You know, if I was starting a cafe now at 24, I feel like I would have a lot more awareness about quality and a lot more awareness about you know, great coffee roasters that I would feel like I would want to work with. Yeah. Back then, I didn't, th you know, there, w there just wasn't really th that many great local roasters who were, um, you know, who I, 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 d I didn't have access to them. So, um, it was just needs must situation. And, the fact that I could get a, get a, a coffee machine and a grinder and these things weren't going to infringe on what little budget I had, then yeah. it seemed like an obvious bet. But it did cost me in the long run. Yeah. You know, having to buy, I then bought, I think, a £3,500 vintage coffee machine in London and had to drive down, pick it up, yeah. bring it back, and I had its own issues. Yeah. Um, which, you've, yeah, if you ask Paul the lowdown, he'll tell you about it. But, um, yeah, I... There's no, I think going back to it, there's no perfect start. You'll open a shop and you'll get it so wrong. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who will try and do, I've done it myself, you know, um, uh, consulting for helping you start to try yeah. and avoid some of those mistakes. And I do believe that is a good route. Um, but I tried to, uh, yeah, go down the naive route of thinking I maybe knew it more than... Well. And I, and I did, yeah. Now in the future, anyone can just watch this amazing YouTube and they'll know exactly yeah. what to do. So yeah. uh, I'm going to take this opportunity quickly <coughs> to open my... We've gone Looks like we've been sponsored. We haven't been sponsored. <laughs> but we're enjoying some brew gooders today because it's a slightly later filming of the podcast. So we're like, let's enjoy a Cheers. tasty wee ale. Are you going to pour yours into the glass? Absolutely not. <laughs> mm. No, me neither. Um... Yeah, so 
I guess still let's stay on equipment, but actually probably I'll just introduce what we're, we want to do around this, I guess, type of podcast is that this is almost like our um, how to run a cafe sort of series, essentially. And as part of that, we're, we're going to interview and speak to other cafe owners, we hope. Yeah, um, which I think will be awesome for providing different perspectives. I think a lot of the general themes will still be the same, but mm-hmm. there, if you, if we had a hundred people, they would all start their cafe a different way from the way yeah. you started it. So this is very much the Cairngorm perspective, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I hope, hopefully, what we can kind of achieve from that is uh, what they did wrong. Almost, you know, I, I quite enjoy those podcasts where it yeah, is, 100%. it's not a sugar-coated yeah. success story because. To be honest, I, the coffee industry—it's a hard work. Like running yeah. a cafe, running any hospitality business, is tough. It's not easy. It's—it's it's not a an excuse to make quick, easy money. Yeah. And attributed to to that are probably lots of mistakes and lots of disaster stories down down the line. So uh, we've certainly got one or two. I'm sure there are other people who do as well. So we're keen to chat to, to other people. A hundred percent. So from the Cairngorm point of view, I think. Um, yeah, lots of time and effort put into coming up with a name. Did well to source this premises, obviously with help to a certain extent. But then, you you know, you think your first real mistake was probably not researching your roasting partner enough, and therefore you know that had an impact on equipment and obviously the you know the coffee you're serving. So, I guess lesson number one. One of the most important things about starting your own coffee business is who is going to supply your beans. Yeah, and what can they help you with as well? And I think what you'll find now is a lot of roasteries offer equipment on the side. You know, they can get it to you for a discount. Some of them will lease you equipment. Some of them will not. So, yeah. But again, I'd massively do your own research. But we will always be open to discuss with people this kind of stuff as well. It's not easy sure. to do. And now there's such a wide range of coffee roasters as well. It's mm-hmm. probably a more complicated landscape than you know what you started in, but at least there's more choice probably yeah. to get it right. I think also on that, there, you know, price plays a big factor. It certainly did with me. You know, it was one of the reasons I went down that route too. You know, the cost per kilo that I was offered was competitive. Which was what? <sighs> I feel like back then it must have been 14 quid. A kilo. But what I found the next two years of my journey were... Uh, me flipping that on his head and uh, actively trying and wanting to pay more because yeah. I was starting to understand the the jump in quality every time you paid more. Like yeah. it was it you know coffee's a, a quite a rare commodity that like I I think it's specialty coffee especially I don't think people necessarily um, uh, base the price because of their brand or because of their reputation. I think it is quite an honest industry where yeah. they will based the value on what they paid for it yeah. or, or what the, the cup score suggests it should be worth. Um, and so I think due to that, you do really get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a conversation we have quite a lot. It's maybe one we can have another time. Yeah, definitely. But about um, pricing. You know, how d- is cheapening our prices and potentially sacrificing our quality something we would want to do? Yeah. Um, and it's a very, very tough topic. Yeah. And certainly in this case... Um, the feedback I got wasn't great, and I started yeah. to realize, okay, paying less means 
the quality is not as good. So when, when you say that feedback as well, are you getting that um, through Google reviews? Are you getting that just face-to-face feedback? Um, I can't, it must have been a mix. I do yeah. remember once or twice getting um, people coming in because like, oh, a new cafe. Because honestly, new cafes weren't popping up every week yeah. um, in 2014. Um, so... We were very fortunate. That definitely helped us, you know, get some traction. Yeah. Um, but people were intrigued uh, when a new cafe opened up, especially in the centre of town. And so they would come in and ask what the coffee we were using was. And I, I did sense a... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, kind of uh, experience, you know, people... Yeah. I don't know, it was almost like I'd let them down. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, so as well, it's probably important to say that is around 2014 time. So uh, third wave coffee, as it's called, yeah. was still in its infancy, but a few years in by then. Yeah. There would have been enough people wandering around being like, I know what a good cup of coffee tastes like versus yes. Starbucks, Cafe Nero, Black Sheep. Uh, yeah, other other absolutely. popular other brands are available, and and I feel like I'm just I'm, li- I'm thinking about what I'm talking about, and I want to go back to just very quickly a, a quick caveat that you know um, the coffee we were getting f- from this roaster, it's not that it was bad, and it's not that they were sourcing it badly. It's uh, the coffee was good. It's just the vision I had from day one about yeah. what I wanted to achieve of building this brand. It felt like um, it wasn't honoring that opportunity enough yeah we've chatted about that i think even today around uh pick your lane so obviously your lane was coffee whereas someone's lane might be baking um i think you know businesses for example in edinburgh like 12 triangles they're absolutely smashing their baking out Mm -hmm. of the game that's probably what they focused on to start with and then you try and add in the coffee probably yeah. on the side, whereas your focus right at the start was, right, I need mm-hmm. my coffee to taste absolutely fantastic because that's yeah. why people, I've got coffee in my name. Yeah, 100%. So if I'm not giving good coffee, then I'm not really giving anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, cool. Well, uh, we've, we've segued quite a lot. I want to yeah. come back to equipment because I think um, it's important for a lot of uh, new, not yet. <laughs> Jack's wanting his crisp break so he can just get munching into crisps. Is there any left? I don't know. There is. Um, how much is equipment? I think that's probably a big headline that uh, non-coffee people listening to this maybe will not understand the cost of you know that machine sitting there, the grinder behind it. Yeah. There's two grinders in here. They're not even well. They're relatively fancy those grinders. But right. So what? Give me well, some numbers. Well, those grinders are two and a half grand each. That's five grand in grinders. And then, <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah, it's mind blowing. I don't know if that is called is that RP? Yeah, it must be um, a, a lot just to grind beans. Yeah, okay. um, and I'm trying to remember what's RP and what. I think it's about ten to twelve grand RP. That one is it not? Yeah, we do sell them. Yeah, I think if it's. You, I think it's. If roughly, you're in the market for a coffee <laughs> machine, quite good salesman. We'll get you the price. <laughs> Don't know how much anything costs. And it uh, will always be. Take note. Yeah. Find out price of equipment we sell. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, that's currently the the cheapest machine we we have in our shops. Yeah. It's quite. It's mind blowing. Yeah. So we're talking. Uh, well, we we bought our San Remo, uh, Opera, and that was I think that was fourteen and a half or fifteen grand, and that was. Five years ago, maybe. So I'm like I'm an accountant here. So we're starting to stack up 
cost. So you've signed your lease. You maybe had to pay a deposit. So let's say three months rent or whatever. So that's say mm-hmm. five to ten grand, depending on what your rent is up front. Mm-hmm. You've then got your fit out costs, which we're saying you managed somehow to do this for fifteen to twenty, which is yeah. great. So and now you'd maybe be thirty to forty. So yeah. you add that on, so you're maybe up to forty, fifty grand just to get the place looking good. So we got this counter redone. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Must have been two years ago now, a year. And it was 12 grand, I think. Just to do the counter. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Pretty uh, bad, isn't it? So you're at 50 grand already-ish, and then you add on your equipment on top of that. So, you know, the equipment probably takes you close, you know, to 60, 70 grand to set up. I think that's, yeah. when we chat about it, that sounds roughly in line you know, if you're opening a five a five hundred square foot yeah. cafe, that's probably your cost. You can cut corners in certain areas. Mm-hmm. There's probably certain areas you can't cut corners. I would say machine is yeah. one of those. So that's what like a hundred pounds per square foot to fit out. Yeah, seems about including right. equipment. Including yeah. equipment. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of money, and I think that's that's another thing. It's um, you know, you hear this a lot when people are talking kind of motivationally about setting up your own business. Save up some money first. If you do yeah. want to do this, you know, figure out where you're going to get your funding from is very, very important. That's going to come from your own savings as well. Um, you know, that's a big call to make because not every cafe is going to work. So mm-hmm. if you plow 50, 60, 70 grand or more in, yeah. you might not get your money back. Basically. Yeah, for sure. And I think we had a big, a fairly big safety net. My, I think the story is... Um, the money that helped to you know really kick us, kickstart us. There were various means, but um, the f- one I think is quite a fun story is that uh, when my dad had worked in McAllen, he'd saved up some rare bottles. Yeah, he sold an auction, and that money was attributed to setting up Cairngorm. Imagine what they'd be worth now. Yeah, probably more than Cairngorm. He doesn't want to think about that. <laughs> ah, that's good. Um, but yeah, certainly you know that is always going to be the biggest. Hurdle is yeah. like how do you get money? So uh, us personally, we're we're talking quite candid here. Yeah, we have an overdraft facility. Yeah, which helps helps a lot. We obviously now have a bounce back loan, but yeah, we've also had other loans. We've had loans through our um, credit card facility where you pay back an additional percentage. Yeah, um, f- uh, for the thing you 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 sell. Uh, so instead of being one and a half or one whatever it is. Two uh, percent, you might pay back six for a period until it's paid back. Yeah, uh, and I'm a big fan of those because you know you've actually got to be making money to to pay it back. Yeah, it's I'm not sure. just a case of they're coming knocking if, even if you're closed. Yeah, um, which is great. So, well, I guess we're now we're at the point where you can open your cafe doors. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where we've got to in terms of chatting about all this. We should maybe stop for our crisp break now. I think that's <laughs> a good stop. I'm also going to have to go and get my haircut. I'll come back looking fresher. Oh yeah. Um, but after the Chris break, let's talk about then that first six months. Um, you know, what do you do once you've opened your doors, like staffing? Yeah. And then I think next after that, we're going to talk about, right, you're actually making some money. You're a successful cafe owner, yeah. but you work seven days a week. How do you go from being an owner operator potentially do you even want to no longer be an owner-operator? Is that where you want to go? How do you go from owner-operator into maybe running multiple cafes? So, Yeah, and I think that. those two are completely different uh, businesses. And it's, yeah, it'll be interesting to, to 
pick them apart, I guess, those two different facets. So it will be. Yeah, are well, we talking about the crystal? Yeah, crystal. So they are Mackies. Oh, the Mackies. We're going to have uh, lightly salted ridge cut. Another very, very good crisp. I don't. I think you guys maybe will say they're a bit bland, a bit not that exciting. They're a bit soggy. I don't know if you mean drooling on them or something. Not crunchy. You can hear. We that did crunch. pick a good thing to eat on camera. You can hear the crunch. repulsive for people who listen. Um, they're really good crisps, I would say. And again. Ridge, when you're dipping ridge, you get all the, you get it all in there, which is good. Um, great crisp. I think while we're on this as well, on the break, we should maybe yep. talk about some of this cool new merch. <laughs> oh, hey, that we are launching. It actually feels. It actually feels great. As good as it looks. No, I, I look. It's, we. Another pod for another time, but we've sold a lot of merch in our time, which right. uh, this is a very good iteration of it, I would say. Um, oh, eating crisp. So, talk us through it. What, um, what are they all about? What are these sweatshirts all about? When will you be able to purchase them? So, we've wanted to do this for a long time. We don't know if someone else has done or not. <laughs> I thought you are holding the mic for me to speak into that one. Interviewing me. Um... Yeah, we don't know if someone has done this before. They maybe have, and there's no such good, uh, no such thing as a new idea. But um, the idea is, we have in this series processing methods. Yeah. So we've got carbonic maceration, Pro- ways to process a coffee, ways to process a coffee. So the common uh, terms would be washed, natural, uh, maybe even honey. We do have a anaerobic honey. Um, a lovely lilac. I'll also be dropping. Um, but yeah, we just thought it's quite a fun thing for people to nerd out on. Yeah, in the niche coffee industry, yeah. so mine says thermal shock. Can you explain to me what a thermal shock We've never had a thermal shock coffee. <laughs> ah, nobody knows. But that one is... Uh, Genuinely nobody knows we'll, what the process is. We'll, um, we'll give all proceeds, pro- proceeds of that to Dear Green, maybe. Because they've got thermal shock coffee. Oh, do they? It's delicious. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think that's the Yeni Esperanza that Matt talks about nonstop. That is good. Yeah, so we've got three going so far. Carbonic maceration. Not to be confused with <laughs> tongue, other words begin with them. Tongue twister and a half, that one. We have thermal shock and we have anaerobic honey. So available from Thursday. Get your Tomorrow, if you're watching this on yeah. Wednesday, the that's good. You managed to do 1st that. of February. Um which is cool. Do you know the great thing about all this chat is I've actually, in 10 minutes, got a FaceTime call. Well, they cancelled it. Oh. So let's be with my, my marketing team. Well, I've got my hair cut in 10 minutes. So I'll come back, not wearing a hat, looking super sharp. Why? Okay. Okay, so a quick one. Uh, we haven't given this any... Uh, Any creeds? No, I don't want to say creeds. I feel like that joke's going too far. No, I don't. We can see a joke. It's a a serious thing. But how many uh, creeds creeds would you give those crisps out of 10? I really, really like them, but now I'm aware that I've really liked all of the crisps we've had. So I'd say they're not as good as the Torres one, so I'm going to go, they're probably a seven creeds out of 10. I'm quite pragmatic, so people probably really rate my opinion because I don't just... Uh, I was going to say I love Chris <laughs> Yeah Don't get excited over every single Chris Who enters my mouth But uh, I eat a lot of Chris So that's probably why I'm quite an experienced Chris Peter I can tell um, <laughs> But I'd probably give it 
five or six, because uh, it's mainly the fl- the sorry that it's mainly the flavour, uh, and that's not a, a diss on the crisp manufacturer. That's a, a diss on the person who selected the flavour of crisps. I'm going to tag the crisps. Sea, <laughs> sea right. salt is quite a boring flavour. James Taylor, Mackey's crisps are the best. But you know James Taylor well. And you're absolutely banging his crisps here. Well, we said he was selling the business. Hopefully, he already agreed to price. <laughs> no, he's not. He's continuing with the business. Oh, is it? Aside, oh. aside, aside. Back to running businesses. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about running coffee businesses. So, we have successfully opened our shop. It's trading super duper well. There's people coming in, buying coffees every day. You like so, this is in, in theory. No, 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 this is where we're at it's now on this journey. Himself, eh? uh, no, so yeah, that's happening. People are loving it. Well, I, I guess so. Yeah, first six months of Frederick Street opening. Yeah, how did that pan out? Um, so, I, and again, it's all relevant to what we were saying before. You know, there weren't that many openings. Yeah. So I think um, it went as well as a really probably coffee issues aside. Yes. Yeah. Like it was working, and I think. We've been a very organic growth business um, to this stage, so I think I had quite realistic expectations. I wasn't expecting it to, you know, um, to to go gangbusters. Having said that, <laughs> I I did get some assurance from my dad that I built to buy a flat after the first year of trading if I worked hard enough. But now, on reflection, I think he was just trying to get me to work hard. Is that and what we'd call like actual it. actual boomer logic? So he was buying flats for five k back in the nineteen sixties, and now he's like. <laughs> Work hard for a week and you'll buy a flat. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there was there was a bit of that. Maybe I don't know. In, in any case, um, Edinburgh property prices are extortionate. So, so you didn't buy a flat. So I did. I did not. I continued to to rent off my friends. Interesting. So fast forward then one slash two years. Yeah. And Frederick Street's running well. So you are now at the point where you have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I'm working five days, probably more a week in this cafe. Do I retire now? And just is this the rest of my life? Am I just going to work in this cafe for the rest of my life? Or am I going to try and grow the business, maybe get multi-cafe? You know, probably the roastery conversation is not even on the horizon yet. You're just thinking about maybe no. another cafe. So well, what happens next? Well, in fact, I mean, we don't want to jump around too much, but we did think about uh, starting a roastery pre the cafe. But pre decided, Yeah. and uh, Sorry, pre Frederick Street. Oh, wowzer. But actually, in hindsight... The decision was the right one because, and I, and I think anyone who starts a business will understand the amount you learn in that first one two years is yeah. unparalleled. So if I'd gone to the root of, um, you know, the product, so trying to roast the coffee, uh, obviously I would have learned a lot, but it's a more almost a is a, is a real expensive risk uh, yeah. attached to that um, because a roasting machine isn't much cheaper than the fit out for the the, the cafe, and then. You're you're playing with uh, hundreds of pounds of batch roasting at a time. So, um, long story short, I learned a lot in that two years, and I um, learned enough to know that it probably wasn't the lifestyle which I had craved. Um, yeah. I wanted to build, as I said before, a brand, and I wanted to um, really uh, push myself as far as I could. I think probably at that point, you know, being probably twenty five, twenty six. Um, there was no way I was going to settle for, you know, I was young yeah. enough that um, there, there was just not, it was just never a consideration for me at that point yeah. that I would be happy with one shop. Um, 
I think as well, so that's a very Karen Gorman you specific answer. So I'll maybe come back to people who do want to set up a single cafe from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of chatting off air again about how you need to get your numbers right, essentially. Because if you don't get your numbers right and don't make enough money, you will be in there seven days a week serving coffees, cleaning machines, cleaning floors. So you need, if you're wanting that lifestyle type business, it needs to be able to provide you with enough money to live the life as well that you want to live. And obviously that means nobody, I doubt, is setting up a lifestyle business wanting to work there seven days a week. So I think that's an important factor. Like if you are going to be an owner operator and that's the route you want to do forever, how do you give yourself some free time? But yeah. I don't think we're going to answer that because that's not I, your experience. Th- this doesn't really answer the, the question, but talking about the concept of the owner-operator in a specialty coffee sense, I actually think that um, the majority of fantastic cafes uh, in that specialty coffee world are owner-operators. Like, it's it's almost a completely different beast to then scale that. It's so hard, you know, when, when the success is based on a very, very um, temperamental product. Yeah. You know, having the right processes in, and you know the amount of variables that uh, that need to be absolutely on the money um, to expand that beyond one shop, beyond two shops, to ten shops and beyond yeah. uh, is very tough. To the point that um, you know there are a lot, there are lots of fantastic cafes which are a standalone cafe with yeah. the owner in there every day Can checking in check quality. Who, who well, would you I mean, say, like, like, if someone's wanting to look, who should they be looking at from that owner-operator point of view? Well, we work with a couple, so. Weirdly, the ones that now spring to mind are ones that have expanded beyond that. But, you know, my first experience going to the barn in Berlin, yeah. and it was one shop, yeah. and it was incredible. He has successfully gone beyond that. Obviously, closer to home, you've got the likes of uh, Lowdown, yeah. um, who the quality is unparalleled. And, yeah. You know, that uh, takes a certain amount of... Uh, buying my tongue because we we've got a shop near them and yeah, yeah. but we see it as a constant inspiration for us to, to keep yeah. on pushing ourselves. Um, there was another cafe in London, one of my favourites that now actually is based in Perth. Um, it was Manifesto, uh, which was um, uh, McIntyre's in in London. It was yeah. fantastic. It was like an owner operator vibe. And yeah. by that, I think you can go beyond one shop, but I think. It's very much the idea of the owner still making uh, having a touching a touching point on every decision that's made. Yeah, and it can make a real difference to the the quality of, of everything. Um, yeah. To have all of your staff connected directly to the person who came up with the concept, made the the rules, and set out the framework for the quality within the shop is can be a really great thing. Obviously, what we'll go on to talk about was. <coughs> I went beyond that. I was very keen to, to not do that. Yeah. And it wasn't just that I didn't want to be involved with the shop in that capacity, but um, I knew that qu- quite early on, if my vision was to scale beyond one shop, beyond two shops, uh, I had to almost be slightly disconnected from the shop. Yeah, I didn't want to have the environment where people come to come have a chat with me yeah, because yeah. that then almost seals the fate of your success as a business. Yeah. Um, if you want to scale. I agree. Um, and that was the decision I made quite early on, that I was trying to get the shop running itself and be as self-sufficient as I possibly could, um, which in turn gave me the freedom to then go on to the next shop. 
Cool. I'm just going to name check a couple more as well yep. on top of that. So we obviously work with the H9. Um, you know, we, we sell them. We roast a special coffee for them, uh, which they sell, single origin espresso. Um, great cafe, definitely worth a follow on Instagram and TikTok as well. I think sure. very much one where you can see part of their journey as well on their social media feed. I think they're quite an interesting uh, cafe to follow for sure. Um, and, and they're a great example of a cafe which um, has start. It feels like the he's got a similar mindset in a way that he's starting to um, craft the next. You know, he's got Lewis, who's the head yeah. barista, yeah. Um, who he can trust implicitly to guide the, the coffee within the shop. And I think you know that's the key. At the end of the day, if you do want to scale, it comes yeah. down to getting the right people involved with you. We'll chat about it's the that. only way. You know, right. it's it's the the success or failure of the business is um, whether you can go away on holiday and and, it, and the quality is is up to scratch. Hundred percent. I think another one where you know our wholesale manager Matt used to work as well in Glasgow space. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, Connie, the owner of that, yeah. um, you know, huge. And I think that's a one in particular where you can see that her focus translates to the coffee she has in the shop, basically, doesn't it? And that's the different. Again, I think being really clear on what your business model and business plan is and then sticking to it. And there's no reason a business plan and business model can't change. You know, you get three years down the line, but you know, I would say clearly plan your first couple of years and stick to it and then lift your head up and maybe you can change after that, which I think is what we're kind of saying. A lot of your favorite owner-operators at the start probably did that. They nailed what they were doing at the start and they were like, oh, this has maybe provided me the platform to grow. Definitely, and I think... Um the clearer the the concepts and the clearer the kind of vision for the business, the easier in the long run it is to scale. So the barn being a perfect example, the the experience I had when I went in there, I don't know how long ago, you know, six years ago maybe, yeah. um, was the experience that I you know, I've not been many times since, but the experience that I can see from their social media, from the owner, um, the founder discussing it, it seems like it's still the the, the vision is very clear. You know, they wanted to make single origin their whole focus, um, and they worked with uh, seasonal uh, lots that they revisit year on year. There's there's a there's a real ethos that has been kind of ironed out um, quite early on, and I've seen them through to well, they've now scaled to, to internationally. Yeah. Internationally, you know, they've got shop three shops I think internationally. So yeah. pretty amazing. Another one uh, not far away is um, Coffee Collective in Copenhagen, where. Yeah. You know, the experience I had there, I've had multiple times when I've revisited. And um, it is definitely something that is the hardest to do. Finding a um, an individual, clear uh, vision on concept for your business is challenging. Yeah. But if you can nail it early on, then the scalability of the business feels more natural. You know. Yeah. If you really know what you're doing, it's easier to then take that and continue it. If it's a little bit wishy-washy, it's hard to really make a dent in an industry, I think. Interesting. It's quite deep. Uh, it is. I'm, um, I'm going to show my management consulting kind of strategy background here as well in the sense that when a market is growing, so like specialty coffee has been growing, say, for the last 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. it gives you more leeway as well. Obviously, yes, those brands nail it. But if the general trajectory of the overall market is growth in that more and more people are wanting to drink speciality coffee, yep. um, 
if you're doing the right things, you should also grow. I think part of the trouble sometimes, and you know, we're probably not in a period yet where speciality is shrinking, but I think growth is probably slowing versus what it was 10 years ago. But, you know, if you're starting a cafe and speciality industry now, the growth potential probably isn't as quick as maybe it was then. You know, if you get it right then, you really could ride that kind of wave up. So I think it's important to do that kind of research as well overall. What is the speciality industry looking like? So, like, is there another Brewdog success story in craft beer? It's you know, yeah, it's hard to re- replicate that growth, yeah, uh, in the same way that I guess a blue bottle and specialty coffee was, you know, the scalability was huge, yeah. and the end result was the the guy made a tidy pocket. He did, and I think Backing. it's important to say that um, as long as you have a clear concept and a good business and you run it really well. It, I think it will do well. It's probably when times are good, it's easier to do well running a business, I guess. Your business might not be as good um, as everyone else's, but it might still do well, I guess, is what I'm trying to say there. Um, So, yeah, let's fast forward to Frederick. It's doing well. How do you get away from being behind the bar five days a week making coffees to opening a second shop? Um, Again, just staff. It comes down to... uh, Hiring good staff. I think at that stage, st- hiring staff to replace your job but still paying yourself a salary yeah. is challenging because <coughs> you're, it's obviously your salary then goes into the overheads of the business. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not really doing a benefit to the business. Um, and I think that's challenging. You obviously are. There's a lot you're doing. 100%. And I think that's something that I battled with a lot in in, in the early days. I still do. Whereas a case of if I'm not if I'm doing something like heaven forbid working from home on, on admin on payroll and yeah. on marketing even you know all these little things that need to be done, um, then I often felt like I was doing my staff a disservice or yeah. was, uh, they would be wondering what I'm, what I'm up to. Yeah, um, and I think that is something that is very hard to get over. I would think nine out of ten business owners would share that same. Yeah. That that feeling, slight feeling of guilt yeah. in the early days when, you know, you're so used to being there in the on, on the um, f- the front line, and you're you know you're all a part of a team, and then suddenly you're sitting at home doing stuff and not interacting with them. Yeah. It can be quite challenging. Um, but it yeah, it's it's a super important. You can't you can't scale a business unless you take a step back. Yeah. And some people try and and uh, you know the the result is that you're going to have to split your time between the two anyway yeah. if you open another business. So I think it's important to start as soon as you c- possibly can to start allowing the business to breathe on its own and, and get used to that. Yeah. And then really it gives you a good indication of whether the business is, you know, if it is a small lifestyle business or if it is a business that can successfully scale. Yeah. If you can continue to pay yourself and not work on the on the tools, as it were. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a good indication. And early indication for us was good. Like, Frederick Street was busy. Um, we were selling food and coffee. We were years away from a pandemic. Everything was looking pretty pretty rosy, to be fair. Good. Um, and it felt like the right time to make the next move. So you found Melville. Um, we actually found another unit. Oh. That we paid lawyer's fees on. Had the, the uh, lease written up in front of me. And then the last minute, I... I bottled it. Where was that? Uh, in the Waverley Arches. Yeah. Where uh, Rumours is. Oh, is not, it? Not that actual unit, but further down. Along that area. Wow. 
Why did you, why, what was the, why? I almost just was not 100% sure about it. There was talk of them building, continuing to build New new Waverly, and yeah, yeah. I loved the, the concept of it. I thought this has to work. It's really like romantic yeah, thought of being in an archway. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It seemed to work, but the more I thought about it, the more, you know, I'd, I'd been in an environment which was small. This would have been maybe even smaller or, or the same kind of space. It was very much a, t- a takeaway. Yeah. Um, and it, w- it was essentially signing a lease to become a guinea pig on a new project. Yeah. Which hadn't ha- it didn't have any track record. Um, so this is before any of them had opened. Uh, I would just jump in there. I would say <coughs> for any business owners, especially startup business owners, being someone else's guinea pig is, I would never, ever recommend doing that. Yeah. It's not on you to try and figure out for someone else what things should work, what prices work, will footfall be mm-hmm. good enough. So, you know, I think it is a risk if you want to take on a new location, which is unproven, yeah. massive risk. But I, I think now, in hindsight, it's great. I yeah. think that's a cool location. It's not it? It's not the only lease we've pulled away from, like yeah. a very, very late stage. And um, <laughs> I've not regretted either. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, you, you've got to have convictions that you know what's best for your own business yeah at that time the i when i was thinking okay i've paid all these lawyers fees i should probably just do it yeah but signing up to 10-year lease it was all these kind of things and you know obviously now we're getting to this age where we're thinking christ gonna be mid-40s by the time that lease is finished just scaring yourself it wasn't quite as bad back then yeah but it was still um it's still a real consideration i think not long after i was almost ready to pull out, I drove past Melville. Yeah. And saw a toilet sign. And then a range of viewing and I was like, it's a no brainer. <coughs> Which and again now in hindsight, um so Melville was an estate agent prior to that, wasn't it? So yeah. in hindsight, I think a lot of people were driven past that unit and thought yeah. not had the same thinking as you as you had. But I think the rest is history. It's now a great coffee shop in a great location. But again I'll come back to the point around um, there's deposits to pay, there's a fit yeah. out. I think Melville's about a thousand square feet. Yeah. So earlier in the conversation, we said roughly a hundred quid per square foot. Mm-hmm. I think you're a bit lower there because um, the equipment cost is roughly the same, mm-hmm. maybe slightly higher. But I remember, I think, conversations we've had that, you know, Melville was close to 70, 80,000 pounds, yeah. 70 to 80,000 pounds to fit out. So stumping up a lot of cash again, two years yeah. into your business. Easy. Uh, easier when you are actually turning over money. Yeah. Not necessarily great profit. Yeah. But it, for some reason, it just feels like I felt less insecure about spending money when yeah. I knew the next week there was I'd money. be making more. It's like, yeah. you know. Um, I think that also turning over opens access to facilities like overdrafts. Yeah. Um, like the PayPal sort of capital schemes that yeah. they do where you can obviously yeah, raise Definitely. money through that. So. Yeah, it's a bit easier once you've got going. It's still borrowing money, though, isn't it? Which yeah, is not ideal. Sure. Wow. It, it, I guess it's another one of those things where it makes you think, doesn't it? You know, you are it's a decision to be made. Yeah, and you should never borrow money unless, A, you've got a fantastic business plan that's foolproof, or you have every confidence in yourself that you're not going to stop yeah. um, any, any cost to, to be able to pay it back. Yeah. And I... I probably had more of the, the latter than, than the former but you know still um i've never been naive enough to not you know spend a bit of time and just sketch out costs and 
yeah. try to understand as, as much as possible, even without a huge amount of kind of accountancy <laughs> background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I've tried pretty pretty hard to to um, yeah to understand what I'm letting myself in for, I guess. Yeah, but I've, I, I'm very fortunate again that um, it's not all blind belief. I come from second generation. second generation cafe. I'm a second generation cafe owner, and yeah. so you know, I I had in the first instance like a reference point for a lot of decisions, like how much should you spend on staff, like things like that. How much should you spend on staff? Well, we think no more than twenty five percent of your turnover. Yeah, um, obviously it's a big outgoing, but it's probably twenty to twenty five percent, depending on how you. You run your business, yeah. In terms of like how much service is added and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So obviously, the higher the service, the higher that percentage goes, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's maybe something we could quickly jump into, just very high level. Um, yeah, kind of round what sort of figures you make in a coffee shop. Again, I think people maybe sitting there think, open my doors, maybe I'll do five hundred thousand pounds of coffees. But yeah. again, you're selling a product which is now three pounds fifty. Yeah. Ten years ago, it was two pounds. 20 maybe yeah. how I many coffees do you have to sell to make a hundred thousand pounds do I that math i am like we're obviously oh sorry what was the question <laughs> two pounds of coffee yeah. and a hundred thousand pounds turnover how many coffees are you selling uh fifty thousand it's a lot of coffees isn't yeah. it? um yeah that is a lot of coffees uh and obviously in the kit we had which was the vintage coffee machine it was quite challenging yeah. i'm just having like as we're unpacking this i'm having things that were tucked in the back of my head that terrifying me. I remember my my dad admitted like quite far into it that he was pretty nervous because <laughs> <laughs> we weren't making what we thought we would make. But you, um, and again, it's interesting though. Your dad's business model is different from yours. So yeah. service is probably a lower, not lower quality, but there's less service necessarily than there is at a Melville style cafe in Raleigh, yeah. isn't there? So then his percentage yeah, sure. of staff costs is lower than yours. Yeah. Um, I always find it interesting. I always chat to people about this that. All that can bubble around. You've got your rent, you've got your staff, you've got your cost of beans, all that food. I'm always like, <laughs> your business should make, as a minimum, 10% net profit. And that keeps you, you know, as long as you're making roughly 10%. So if you're turning over 100 grand, you end up with 10 grand mm -hmm. at the end of the year. And you know, again, we're chatting off air. So you knock your pan in for a year at Frederick Street. Let's say it turns over 200 grand. You've done, you know, 50,000 coffees, you've done 20,000 grilled cheeses. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And you end up with 20 grand at the end of the year. Yeah. And I think that is important for people to understand as well. So you can either pay yourself that 20 grand or you can reinvest that into trying and yeah. opening another shop. And if, yeah, and it's not even just reinvesting. It's You should always, you need to have a buffer. And we've talked about this yeah. a lot. It's like, you know, if you want to scale, twenty grand isn't even a big buffer. No. So you won't even buy pay, a pay, pay yourself nothing. Yeah. And then you're still um yeah. And I think that's probably an important bit. I don't know how much we've got left on the list, because obviously we could go into the roastery sort of chat as well, but that's not really specific to running a cafe. Well we could maybe talk about that another time. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, almost uh it's important to have that in your head. And I think that's for running any business. Like know your numbers, know that know this rough size of space maybe i can do 100 maybe i can do mm -hmm. 200,000 what has to go well for you to do 200,000 you know like we're saying yeah. it's a hell of a lot of coffees and then 10% is a low profit margin i would say that is the profit margin you'd be making if you've got really yeah. high staff costs and you're buying the fanciest beans but 
again, you should probably scale your pricing to factor that in as yeah. well. But we, it's we a could, long year to only earn £20,000. We could really scare people right now and tell them some of the days trading we've had as a business has been going eight years and reopening a cafe. Right in here? Yeah. yeah. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, well, I don't know if we actually want yeah, to. Yeah, you can. I think we... So, again, we're talking how big's Frederick Street. I think it's 400 square feet, maybe. It's 560, I think, including the back. Including the back. Um, which is relatively tiny. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's say 500 square feet. Uh, in retail, I work... Is he back in? Focus. <laughs> In retail, I work off a kind of policy of £500 per square foot is roughly what you should mm-hmm. uh, turn over per annum. Coffee's probably not a million miles away from that either. So, yeah, um, yeah, we're in a 500 square foot cafe. You want to probably be hitting £200,000-ish. Well, yeah. maybe a bit lower, but... Yeah. Um, and we're not. Frederick Street since reopening well but the question we've had not the question, the conversation we've had often is it was always designed uh, or sorry, it wasn't always designed it always worked Mm. in that early period as that owner operator you know when I was here then it was when we started moving away um, that's when it became tricky but at that point then and this is something to consider the more cafes you open, that overhead that you cover um, is split between shops. So your salary is is divided. Yeah. Um, which 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 helped a lot, I guess. I just I've got lots of views on, on cafes and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and this sounds like a bad thing to. I might get pelters from people who try this and it fails, but I'm always like, you should make your cafe as big as you possibly can afford to do. Yeah. Um. Not just because it's good to have ambition, but I think you'll find that you will put as much work into a 300-square-foot cafe as you will into a 3,000-square-foot cafe. Yeah. It will be a lot of added stress. There'll be a lot of extra things to think about and more staff to cover. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you're running a business, it is extremely hard work. Yeah. And you might as well make some better cash doing it. Yeah, so I agree. And I think all that comes down to then is, like we said at the start, how much cash do you have to start with? So... Obviously, you started with a 500 square foot because you couldn't have started with a 5,000 square foot. So yeah, absolutely, that's true. that is, you know, a big part of it. Um, and then it's something Robbie and I talk about a lot and maybe something we can chat about later on because it's definitely going to be part of our journey is fundraising. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, if you are only, let's say you're turning over a million quid a year and you make 10% profit, that's generating 100,000 pounds a year, which you can reinvest in your business. As we've chatted about, that maybe isn't an enough then. You know, you want to open up a bigger cafe. Cafe. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, you want to open up a bigger coffee shop. Um, £100,000 maybe yeah, doesn't. Maybe you know, that's a, yeah. that's a thousand square foot um, yeah. shop that we just discussed. So it's very, very interesting. Yeah. that, And I think you listened to a Jamie Lane podcast recently where he was saying... Getting to a million pounds of turnover is extraordinarily difficult. And yeah. then to, after that, I said getting to 10 million is basically impossible. Yeah. And I think and that's then after a, that, I think that's when it gets, snowballs, but gets yeah. a bit easier. But I think it's again important to have that in your head. And I think we've, we've got that milestone in our head around a million quid. Hopefully, we'll hit that in 2023. 
Yeah. We've not heard it in 2022. We've supposed to say it in 2022. <laughs> we'll have a check. Yeah, uh, we need to get the accounts. Yeah. Um, uh, keep on. We need to get those accounts. No, pay someone else to do it. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah. But in 2022, so like the calendar year, the accounting year doesn't run the same as a calendar year. I'm trying to set them up like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to realize that uh, scaling without cash is very, very difficult. Where yeah. are you going to get your cash from? Can you pay it back? All that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think going back to the star almost, it is, it's two, there's two different, you can run coffee in so many different aspects, but ca- you can run a cafe as one owner-operator, single unit, and, yeah. and make money. Make £50,000 a year profit. Yeah, but yeah. it's not easy money. I think going right back to the start, you know, talking about people view it as a, a kind of uh, an opportunity to make easy, easy money. money when they're having fun. And I would say from my experience that is... Can you tell me something? It's not that it's not fun, but it's, you know, it's, it's much harder work than who, I thought it would be. Who's making easy money? <laughs> Jack sells T-shirts yeah. online. It does quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy money. It's not easy money. No. Yeah, I think consultants. I think probably do okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably agree with that. Um, I think until you start running a business again, I come from a consulting background. Oh, there we go. Until, <laughs> uh, well, it's, I'm just trying. Are you to not also a, uh, a day yacht skipper or something? Yeah. <laughs> God, many strings to his bows. Very which is many quite strings. commendable. I'm also learning to code at the moment. So. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing what you can do. When I'm you're actually. Kids. A mu- I'm actually a professional musician as well. Played a gig to some people once. And <laughs> paid um, thirty pounds. What was I, I rambling on about there? Um, <coughs> okay. No, we're talking about uh, consulting. I, so I think people should be aware: starting a business is extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. And I think the thing that is difficult is the twenty-four-seven-ness of it. It yeah. takes so long to get out of the twenty-four-seven. Yeah. Um, and that's something we're talking about. Owner operators, you need to get to a point as an owner operator. When you can have days off, yeah. you know, you might shut the shop. Say uh, you run a coffee shop as an owner-operator. You might shut it for two days a week, open it for five. You're probably still doing accounts, all sorts of admin for sure. on your other two days. So it's important to realize that, you know, how quick can you get to that point where you actually can take some time off? And I think, again, that's it's a tough situation to get to. This all sounds like far too much work. I'm like... Naivety is the great, yeah. I think, like you talk about, is probably the best part of starting a business is yeah. that you just don't know. But like we talk about our dads quite a lot as well. My dad always said, what is literally the worst that can happen? Like you yeah. try and start a business, you lose the money you put in, you can go get a job. Yeah, you said that to me before as well. Yeah. <laughs> just well, I don't know what job you would get. Well, you know, like you can reinvent yourself yeah, you, you, three you times be, uh, after you're 35. I'm like... Um, Honey, it's not the end of the world. I'm not allowed Honey to say pee. 100%. Honey pee. Honey pee. Um, that probably concludes. I think that's been yeah. a How long was that then? Well, we don't know. An hour and ten minutes. It's not been an hour and ten. I think Ring pro- the bell. That's a new record. I think segment one, part one. Was segment one, I still be putting on a Oh, my it's word. An important, it's an important topic, Yeah, I think. And, and it can, yeah. hit us up um, <coughs> if you ever want to chat about it. Because I think it's something... I. I think people underestimate maybe again how much you are aware you know you you know about setting up a coffee shop so I think hit us up I thought one of the segments we wanted to do every week as well I want to read out positive reviews oh, and yeah. I know we've got a 
Do we have one? We've got a banger, I think, for Frederick that we can have read it? out. But listen. <laughs> Probably at Kevin McCoffey. No, I don't yeah. like people emailing me. Yeah, I'm I'm tired. So somehow Robbie's managed to create a situation where all emails in the business are directed to other people apart from him. But he still he gets all the bills basically. They come yeah, kill the um, Yeah, so I think saying that obviously we reopened Frederick Street uh, as we've talked about before in September. It has been so we've been surprised. It's been on an upward trajectory, but. It, it obviously is, it's a difficult location now versus pre-COVID. Um, but we have been very, very happy with how it's performed. Robbie's really struggling to find this review. Which one was it? The one from know, Jack McCauley. <laughs> so glad they've reopened this location. Thanks, uh, Jack. <laughs> thanks, mate. Why, why? You don't even drink coffee. Hot uh, chocolates are dynamite, though. Oh, do you want me just to read a random one? Okay, Read like, a random, really positive one. You put, like, fancy music over this bit. Okay. See how... A little, cute, and cozy coffee shop. I had a delicious chai latte and my fiancé had a cappuccino with a butter croissant. Everything was delicious. Friendly staff, I definitely have to visit them again. Five out of five, five out of five, atmosphere, five out of five. Yes, what a review. Staff are friendly. Staff are not now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's, that's a great review. One final thing, we got pop shields, so you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Less pop. Um, also, yeah. We're wrapping up, we're wrapping up. I'll save the also's for next time. Thank you very much Cheers. for listening. See you soon. And again, Cast. Like and subscribe. An hour, an hour long, that's it. It's in there, Jack. There's bits in there. You can show that, don't you? I'm not cutting that.